Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And, and we're talking we're... to you once again from our at-home studio. Not once again. Last month we weren't here. Having just recently completed another epic RV journey. Epic. We are in the ro- on the road, driving thousands of miles every day. No, we're home. Oh. But we did talk to you from the beginning of that journey, and we have much to report Oof, what a about journey. the rest of it. Ah, RVing is such a wonderful experience, and we've had many adventures that we want to share with our listeners. But first, let's talk about the fact that this is the RV Navigator podcast, and that we love to hear from our listeners at rvnavigator.com. And we encourage you to download the monthly calendar with oh, a yes. beautiful picture to inspire to you for further travels. <laughs> And to leave a comment in iTunes if you're so inclined to help other listeners find us. And this is the podcast for November 2019, episode 175. Well, if we did this weekly, we'd be up to much more, but we're lazy, so we don't do it weekly, <laughs> even though we have comments that many of our listeners would Still? like us to do. Well, I think they have enough old episodes that yeah. they can go back. I would like to go back and listen to some of the old episodes, but I'm too lazy. And well, you're too busy listening to new stuff. The there, technology. When you think about how few podcasts there were when we started this, yes. and now I just download them like crazy. My phone is so full of podcasts, I can't put anything else in there, and, and thousands I struggle of people to listen to are them making all. thousands of dollars off of their podcast. And how much do we make? Zippo. No, actually, we lose money. Yes. We pay for this podcast. So we're paying to have you listen to us. Please listen as often as you can. Once a month. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But we do have listeners in all parts of the world. We're very surprised. We even heard from one in Israel, which is where we're going to be going next month. Yes. What a what a wonderful surprise that was. Yes. And we have a tentative plan for a meetup in Tel Aviv. We're really looking forward to that. It's just been gratifying to see that we have a network of listeners around the world. This whole podcast thing has been amazing, and we have now about between fifteen and 20,000 listeners. Well, downloads every month. I don't know how many listeners we have. It's very gratifying to hear from you, and... It's amazing that people listen from around the world. You remember we had an interview with uh, a gentleman from Saudi Arabia. Quite a while ago. We visited friends in Australia. Australia, And now we're going to go to Israel. Probably a place we'll only visit once, but it'll be fun to uh, actually talk to a listener. And and it sounds like they have plans to come in this direction again. So you never know. That would be great. The podcast now has been around for um, uh, over 15 years. And unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, I have been using the same software for the last 15 years. Because you liked it, you knew it, and it worked fine. Yeah. However... In Apple's infinite wisdom, they have decided to make numerous legacy pieces of software no longer operate under the new operating system. So they will no longer be usable. They have become kind of archaic, I guess. Absolutely. Even though we like them and it still works fine. The web page software that I use, called iWeb, developed in 2010 or something, really, that was light years ago in technology terms. terms. So I'm having to upgrade, well, I don't know what upgrade, but I'm having to switch software to something new. So this month, I'm planning on doing that before we leave for Israel. While you're still at home. While I still am at home, and I still have all of my resources here, because I can no longer take the podcast software with me very easily. So, ladies and gentlemen, you know there was a glitch last month, because I forgot the software. Now this month, of course, it probably won't even work, so I'm switching to new software. So if this podcast webpage is not updated immediately, and if the overall website looks kind of funky... Or it doesn't work properly. Please understand that I'm working on it and that I know it. But if you notice some tiny or some glitches in it that I should know about, please... uh, 
as you always do, feel free to email me and <laughs> let me know my mistakes. I do, uh, I do appreciate that. And, of course, for next month's podcast, we're going to be in the Ooh. middle of a month-long tour of Israel, Egypt, and Jordan. Yes. I haven't really sat down to figure out exactly where we'll be at, I think the, Jordan. at the appointed time, but my priority at that point will to be to see and do whatever the tour is about and not to be making a Well, recording. I don't see making the podcast. We can spend an hour making the podcast, Maybe. <laughs> Are you going to be that busy? Well, when we come back Leary from the tours, I do the journal, the blog. That takes me hours, too. And where is that located? On mytripjournal.com slash Wiseman. Mytripjournal, one word, dot com. So if you want to read about uh, the exacting adventures, the daily adventures of our trip, you can go there. Of course, and, we have a link to that on our supposed website. Who knows whether it will be there in the future. And because I... I have had so many wonderful experiences over the years. You too. I find it necessary to blog the day that things happen because I immediately forget about them again. Are you old? Well, and obsessive, that too. <laughs> so that doesn't bode well for the next podcast. It'll be done well, somewhere, somehow, sometime. And probably, well, it's whether we have the upload capacity. And we'll probably not have a whole lot of RVing commentary, um, but stuff about the I've been East. amazed that uh, our podcast listeners seem to be fairly tolerant of us Put not up talking with our about travels. RVing, even though this is called the RV Navigator. Although this month, of course, we have tons of RV stuff to talk about and we do. many exciting adventures, starting with the Harvest Host thing. We talked to you about that last month. That but, was our first. Yes. Experience with it. Well, we bought the subscription in June, but we hadn't, didn't have a chance to use it. Because we hadn't been out RVing. The only well, place, and there was no place, there were no harvest hosts where, where we, we were. Yeah. But if you go to upstate New York, there wow. are a zillion of them. We spent a whole week doing harvest host locations one after another. So once again, Harvest Host is a, a website that you join, and there's always discounts, and then you get a a database, uh, a website that uh, when you type in your location, it gives you harvest host locations nearby. And those locations uh, allow you to park in their parking lots for free. So These are we don't pay anything. The businesses don't pay anything. So Maybe where they does pay the to be listed. I don't think so. Oh. Why would they pay? I don't know. Because they want us to come to their whatever. So I guess the money goes to the Harvest Host website and to maintain it. Well, and to market it and to maintain. So anyway, it's it's a minimal amount of money. Well, seventy dollars uh, a year, and you can camp as often as you want at all of the Harvest Hosts. And you just uh, call in advance, a day in advance, uh, twenty four hours, and let them know that you're coming, and they will say yes or no, depending on presumably if there's anybody else visiting, because and these how, are not campgrounds. And how big their parking lot is. Yes, exactly. So. Most most of them take two or three rigs, and you have to be self-contained because there are no hookups whatsoever. So we had to plan our harvest hosting um, accordingly and had a little interruption <laughs> midweek where we stayed in a campground where we could take on fresh water and dump. Right. And then we did more boondocking. It was a wonderful experience. Yes, it I was. recommend it highly, at least in upstate New York. We haven't done it anywhere else. Well, there are over 1,500 locations all over the country. All over the country. And we stayed. At, we tried to stay at uh, different kinds of locations to kind of get a flavor of what uh, they have to offer. We stayed at <laughs> at the first hole of a golf course, and of course we played golf. Of course we did. And then we stayed at two wineries, uh-huh. which is very nice when you. In are, addition to the one we stayed at earlier, when you're doing sampling, and the designated driver always has to be careful about yeah. how much he consumes. When you can just walk well, across. I don't like to get drunk, but but you can just walk across the parking lot and you're home. Which is always very convenient. Very, and, and they're always in lovely and spots. And, of course, you're not spending any money other than what you might spend at the store for the... To buy a bottle of wine. And then we stayed at, oh, at the Mennonite Farm. We were parked next to the chicken coop. Um, and during the day, the chickens were all out and about right around us. It was easy to step on one when you came out the door. And at night, uh, our farmer's wife put them all inside the coop and that was their routine so they were very happy being in there and she encouraged me to take as many of the freshly laid eggs as I could (laughs) find Um, and I pretty much filled up an egg carpet. It was a wonderful experience and she of course being a Mennonite uh, lady who was an industrious worker with her own skills Mm -hmm. and she had a little shop where she sold quilts and jams. and And what did we buy? 
jam. Jam. Mm. And, and a new purse. Kind of the deal at the Harvest Host is, is that you buy something from the store that's that you might want to buy. But you don't have but to. But you don't have to. It's not required. But it's just kind of a courtesy. So that's what the businesses get out of this. I guess a little bit of advertising. A, and, fr- a round of golf. And I was surprised to see that there are a number of museums that mm-hmm. um, welcome you to stay in their parking lot. So we ended up camped on a runway um, at the <laughs> National Soaring That's Museum. gliders. For the <coughs> average person, we would call them gliders. So this was a place that apparently that terrain is very good for flying glider Lots planes. Lots of valleys with uh, hills around and them. Riding the updrafts. And riding the updrafts. And it had a nice little museum where we learned a lot about it. Um, in its historical sense, when the Wright brothers were trying to figure out how to build a plane to today when it's mostly a competitive sport and something people just do for fun. It's very cool that you can fly in a glider. Unlike a parasailing or that type of thing, you can fly for hours and long distances. They do hundreds of miles that you can soar on any given day, depending on the weather. The days that are best are the ones with nice little cumulus clouds because the clouds indicate that there's an updraft. Okay, so we learned a lot at the museum. And, of course, we were in upstate New York because our primary intention for this trip was to go to the Newmar, the International Newmar RV Rally. International. As you probably know, Newmar is the manufacturer of our motorhome. And uh, there was a huge buzz on the Newmar Facebook page right before we left because it had just been purchased by Winnebago Industries. <laughs> Which we talked about last So month. there were a lot of people who were revved up about that. Uh, the president of Newmar came to the rally, uh, rally mm-hmm. and spoke to the public and then also was very available for people to chew on his ear about whatever concerns that they had. And I think did everything he could to make people feel good about um, that the connection. situation. The rally, as we expected, was a, a mix of a lot of seminars and technical classes. These, How to handle your Oasis heating system. RVs are very complex. How to change the oil in your generator. RVs are very complex systems. You want more? And there's a lot to learn. <laughs> so for someone like me, that got pretty old pretty fast, even though I realized um, its importance. And I was happy to see that there were other seminars that were about the history of the Erie Canal, which was nearby. Um, they had music, live music every night. And one night there was a storyteller from West Virginia who um, was marvelous. Uh-huh. And the next day he gave another talk about how he learned how to tell stories. Uh, there was a demo from a local restaurant tour about how to make pizza from scratch. We have never seen somebody so that enthusiastic That was one of the best sessions we ever had. Pizza. Two hours we watched a guy make pizzas. And learn about and gluten learn about and flowers. And there was a lot should, to it. I didn't know you should let your pizza dough sit for two three, days. Three, three days. days before you use it. And that you can taste the difference if you do that. And the rally took place on the um, New York State Fairgrounds, which was a very nice facility. Mm -hmm. It was a mix of very old, historic, but well-kept buildings from back in the day when you made buildings pretty with um, art art deco decorations. And then some modern functional buildings, you know, well-lit and well-air-conditioned. Very modern and nice. It was mostly run by volunteers, but obviously these people knew what they were doing. It was very well done, and we were very well, this glad. This is 35th year or something, that, so that we had went. some practice. And we had a nice uh, view of all the latest Numar models. The, the, the newest one is kind of an interesting new design. It's called a Super C. And a Super C is a Class C-looking uh, motorhome, but it's large and has a standard... 18-wheeler front end and engine. So rather than having the diesel in the back, this is a Fred. Front end diesel. Oh, a front uh, front diesel. And so uh, it's a very different sort of design. I don't see why you'd want one, but and it has a full wall slide and all the amenities. Didn't you tell me that it has more towing, towing power? Yeah. So if you're towing a lot yeah, of heavy you equipment big, or you could put a, a big, big trailer, giant, big engine in there. And I think as we found out it probably is easier to repair. Uh-huh. Stay tuned ladies and gentlemen uh-huh. for more for the details repair about portion the- of this podcast. <laughs> Are we lucky to be home? Oh, yes, we are. Okay, so... uh, The other thing that really impressed me about the rally uh is that Numar brought 55 technicians Uh along, and these men zipped along the whole 
fairground in golf carts, heavily laden with tools and equipment. Exactly. And the first day, and expertise. The, mo- the first day they mostly serviced warranty people, but the rest of the time they helped people like us who had little issues. And we had developed a little issue, uh, which would have not a little issue greatly interfered with our harvest host boondocking plans because. The morning that we stayed at the Harvest Host Winery, at the, where we made the last podcast, last month, yeah. uh, we came in the morning and uh, started up the generator. Which worked just fine. But it was not charging the batteries. And after overnight, well, I was making coffee and the batteries crapped out on me. And I thought, uh-oh. I won't be able to put the slide walls back in. What am I going to do? Without plenty of, of battery power, it is difficult to put in the the slides and, and do what, what you need to do. But for some reason, the generator would come on and idle, not charge the batteries the or, juice wasn't or going kick into the, to the 110-volt system. Well, we were on the way to the next day to the Numar Rally. Where we had a place to plug in. Where we had a place to plug in and full hookups at the state uh, New York State Fairgrounds. So that was okay. We drove there, plugged in, blah, 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 blah. Us along with 450 other rigs. It was a lot of people. 450 other motorhomes. Just like, well, ours was kind of at the low end, I would say. Anyway. You diagnosed the problem yourself. I, I did. But you couldn't fix it. No. The problem turned out to be the transfer switch. And, Mrs. Technical, what's a transfer switch? It goes on and off to transfer the power from the generator that's producing the power to the batteries that need the power. Kind of. Okay, so an automatic transfer switch, which probably many of you have, transfers the power from the generator to the shore power so that they both aren't supplying power simultaneously. Well, you wouldn't be running your generator while you're using shore power, generally. Oh, gen- yes, and you shouldn't. Yeah. But if you do, what would it do? It would shut off the power from the generator. No, the, the transfer the switch would, but if you didn't have a transfer switch, what would happen? You'd you blow, could blow up, up your, your batteries. Well, you'd be no, you'd too blow much up, power. No, you'd blow up your motorhome. Oh, that would be because you'd worse. have because you'd have I don't know about actually blow it up, but there would be some significant could problems you get because you'd have shocks? two you'd have two sources of power coming could in. Could you get electric shocks? Could you get electric there could be all. Who knows? You don't want to find out. You need a transfer switch that works. So the transfer switch switches between generator and shore power. It senses automatically and it gives priority to the generator. So if you are on shore power and you start your generator, it automatically switches to the generator. It assumes that you want to be on generator. So it makes that transition smooth. So for people that are conscientiously out camping but want to run their generator once a month just to give it a little exercise as you should, they don't have to unplug? Technically, yes. But if you have a malfunctioning transfer switch, well, if you, uh, you might just do it in, I, just in I, case. I would be a little bit nervous about this. But what it does is, is that when you're on the road and you start the generator, the generator supplies power to your motorhome. When you're at a campground and the generator is not running and you plug in, it automatically switches to the shore power. So that most of the time, it's very transparent to you. So anyway, ours wasn't doing anything. Well, no, ours was doing something. It was stuck on shore power. So when I started the generator, it didn't sense that the generator was running. It didn't transfer the... It didn't sense that we weren't getting shore power? It didn't sense that the generator was ready to supply the power. So it didn't uh, kick in. So the generator was sitting there at idle saying, why am I running? And the house was saying, the batteries were saying, we're low, we're low, we need power. But the transfer switch wasn't doing its thing. Now that's if your transfer switch could talk and your batteries could talk. That's what they would be saying. So under more usual circumstances you would have to call an RV place and make an appointment and wait around and here at the rally the guys just came with their golf cart and said yep that's what you need. We often got one put it in and I suspect the bill was considerably lower than it would have been at Yeah we were not paying the $100 an hour labor fee. So, so that, I was amazed. That was a wonderful experience. I was amazed experience. that we had that problem and we got it fixed within a couple of days. Which so we was, could harvest host to our heart's delight. Which we did afterwards but so it kind of curtailed before but not after. So that was pretty exciting. Of course at the rally also are as she said many sessions and if you want to learn about boondocking, if you want to learn about 
uh, your state organizations. There are lots of mini rallies that go on. These rallies are held by many manufacturers. So uh, Some... you might want to consider looking at one. I still get the, <laughs> the emails from Montana, which is our previous fifth wheel our fifth wheel from years and years ago and we went to a rally from montana which was equally good which was yes and so i would strongly recommend that at some time (laughs) that you try to attend the rally not only to learn about the specifics of your particular unit but you get to talk to owners who have solutions to problems that you maybe thought about or haven't had yet or haven't had yet or you know just things that you, that, you know, customization things that you may have thought about. They had another day when they had people showing off uh, things that they'd done to their coaches to make them more livable. You know, all sorts of things that uh, that you may not need to know, but it's nice to know. And as I say, many manufacturers, and there's an owner's group, ha- have these, uh, these rallies. And, of course, they offered some sightseeing tours of things oh, yeah. in the area, which we Corning did not take because we yeah. preferred to do them ourselves, but that's also a possibility. It was a whole week. Yeah. So, I mean, it was uh, fairly we, extensive. We were as busy as we wanted to be. And it wasn't cheap. No. $650 Well, that's because we had full hookups. But lots of people had that. They try to have them in different parts of the country. Next year, they're going to Wyoming, Wyoming. where the... I can't believe this. The state fair campground has 1,200, 1,250 amp full hookup sites. I can't believe they have that many. Mm-hmm. So, so that would be very There nice. was a limit, uh, like on this one, too. There were like 200 full hookup sites, whereas out there, everybody gets a full hookup site for one flat fee. It's amazing. A 1,200? I've never seen a campground quite that big at, at you know just a, a public campground i thought that was impressive yeah so anyway they're having it in a different part of the country and if you want to go out west you know and they have them out in the east and they have them in napanee which is where newmar is located we we met people from california and alaska and people who live 30 miles away yeah it's just so all, all sorts of people definitely look into it and of course they have all sorts of vendors who are showing off specific uh, accessories for your rv i basically don't like vendor talks because you feel like you're at a qvc <laughs> session <laughs> but there was one vendor there who ran what i would call a little rv shop with all sorts of different gizmos <laughs> and gadgets and he had simply gathered them up over the years and found them to be useful to himself and he talked about why he liked them and why he had them and we ended up buying three or four things three or four things that he recommended Including including a uh, water regulator that works better than the the regular one. Because? I didn't totally understand, but the baffles on the inside are different, so it works. So you get more water oomph? Well, yes. So In your shower? Yeah, it's it's regulated to 55 PSI, and then it, uh, it keeps that flow at the same rate. So I bought one of those. Am I a sucker or what? And if he said it works better, he he was a full timer. He uses it all the time. So, and we actually saw his rig. So we were definitely convinced. We we, we were sold. (laughs) And another very impressive vendor demonstration. We actually bought this product before we even went to his vendor talk. Was a fire suppression system. Beep beep beep. Listen listen listen. This is this is something you should know about. Well, when you're on YouTube or on RV sites, you see an incessant parade of pictures of RVs on fire. Many of these are caused by uh, malfunctioning refrigerators, the propane-based ones. But all sorts of things catch on fire. and Batteries. And when you are engines. in a motorhome, you it's very hard to get out and react quickly, and they go up like a Christmas tree. And we have looked at uh, engine compartment fire suppression systems before. They're $1,200, and they have these tanks of halon or something that they install, and then nozzles that spray, and they're all heat-sensitive so that if there's a fire, that it releases the the fire retardant but i've never really been convinced that they were the best thing to put in so we looked at this guy's booth and he had a new type of fire suppression system and this is really going to i think sweep the industry uh, as it becomes more popular they installed i think he said over 80 of them at the show and they were invented for the race car industry right and so this is cool because it has no moving parts 
a fire suppression system without any moving parts. It was very quick and easy to install, too. Took half an hour. Yeah. So, what is it? Well, it's a... Hose. (laughs) In non-technical terms, ladies and gentlemen, it's a hose. It is a tube of temperature-sensitive plastic. And they put in a five-meter one in ours. In the engine. In the engine compartment. And they just kind of snaked it around where there might be fires. So it's, it's a tube that is sealed, and it is filled with fire-suppressant stuff in liquid form as opposed to the tanks, which have a gaseous form. So it's much more concentrated. I literally put in with wire wraps, and so they, they find uh, suspension or components inside that they can attach it to, and they put this, uh, this tube around the engine, and in our case, they, put it to, they had extra, so they put it into the battery compartment, so in case something happens to the batteries that it will release. And so it doesn't, you don't have any nozzles because... When there is a fire, it heats the tube, the the tube bursts at the place where the fire is, and all of the suppression stuff comes out at that point and puts out the fire. Great idea. And uh, it, it, I don't want to say it only cost, but it was only $850. Cheaper than other systems. Cheaper than other systems by a long shot, and so easy to install. And I like the fact that all of the fire suppressant (laughs) comes out at the place where the fire is. And that you can expand, because it's, as I say, 15 feet long, you can expand it to to cover more areas. Where should you put it? They have other ones that are much shorter. That you can put in your... Generator compartment was one, right? Generator and in your refrigerator compartment. And these are easy enough to install yourself because you could just... I mean, they're like two feet long. And so you would just use the the wire tie, the zip ties to put them into onto things in near your, ref- your refrigerator compartment. So there's all sorts of th- possibilities for this. And because they can make them in different w- lengths, you can put them anywhere. And the, the tube is only like an inch and a half in diameter, so it's not very hard. And it's flexible so that you can bend it around corners and stuff. So I was very impressed with this. And, of course, you're going to want to take a look at our website, <coughs> if it works, to look at the name of the company. I didn't write it down. You haven't pursued this. I don't think that you could give documentation of this installation to your insurance oh, company. Right. Oh, I forgot to do that. And perhaps get a reduction on your insurance rates. Yeah, because you have a fire suppression system. Anyway, so I would definitely look at that. We had the transfer switch installed. You had the stairs fixed. Well, yeah, but that was temporarily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are some problems that are just plain ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> you just cannot possibly <laughs> fix. While was, Ken was talking a few minutes ago about the um, huge capacity of the campground for the next international rally, it reminded me that I wanted to talk about our recent experience booking campsites for the Albuquerque Balloon Rally oh, for yeah. 2020. One of our lovely listeners gave us good advice about how to do this. Uh, the procedures had changed somewhat since he did it. Because on a sacred day, what, 10 days after the close of the previous rally, uh, they open up their books for campsites that are almost immediately on the grounds next to the balloons. We've done the Balloon Festival once before in 2005. And and, loved it. And loved it. Um, It's a fabulous experience because you are the campground. Unlike anybody else who goes to the balloon rally, you are camped literally on the grounds. And every night we would watch the news and we would see long traffic jams on the highway where right. other people were coming from hotels or other campgrounds to try to come and see this, and we were right there. No, probably they can go back and listen to our Yeah, podcast. we probably talked about it, <laughs> whatever we, year that was. Oh, no, this was 2005, so this was before the Before po- we did podcasts? Oh, sorry. Uh-huh. We'll have to tell you about it upcoming. One of my most profound memories was the day that the balloons were coming down right in the area where we were camped. It felt like they were going to land on our roofs, although they didn't. And you could hear the so this is lighting a, the burners. This, this so they is a world-class event. You may have been to balloon festivals. And you've probably but, seen stuff about it on the news. Well, but this one has 500 balloons that are activated every day. And it feels like they all go up at the same time. And they allow you access to the field where you can go up and really take great pictures. So I'm ex- anticipating great things. And at night they illuminate them on the ground oh, and have fireworks. Yeah, firework, yeah, it's just a fabulous, fabulous experience. And frankly, not that expensive. But in order to take advantage of the camping, 
apparently you have to be very on Johnny on the spot in order to get the camp the campsites. So what we learned from our research is you no longer call them at the sacred moment. You now have online booking, very modern. So we sat there so with this is our, the first year for online our booking. laptops open and our iPads open. 10 a.m. on October 22nd. And we're happy to report that the website didn't crash. Yes. And we got on it fairly promptly and were able to book exactly the camping that we wanted when we wanted it and later on that very day we read that not only were all the campsites booked out but they were no longer putting they any put more people on the waiting list people on the wait list for each of the venues there are several campgrounds of different kinds cost and we're paying a hundred dollars a night to boondock to boondock well and we get admissions to the park yeah. too well, yeah, which is not that expensive, but so that's uh, it's a fairly expensive. Well, overall, fairly inexpensive. I mean, a hundred dollars a day, and then it's not that expensive. But we don't normally pay that for event. camping. Camping. We have for a world class event, but not for boondocking. Anyway, the bottom line is, if you want to go to the balloon rally, if you're ever thinking about going going to the balloon rally, you have two options. One is you can go with a caravan. And chances are many of the sites sure. that were booked out that day were booked out by companies that were going to bring rally groups there. Right. Or you can go by yourself and book like we did. Uh, but you better be Johnny on the spot to get the at exactly the right moment. We got we got exactly what we were looking for, uh, and it was available, and we paid for it, and blah, blah, blah. Everything worked out perfect for us, we hope. Um, we're actually camped on asphalt, and as opposed to the muddy mess we had last time. We'll see how and it goes. I would say if you are only interested in the rally itself, what we are about to do is the best way to do it. But we also enjoyed going with the rally because yes. all the balloon stuff takes place at dawn and dusk. And so you have right. the rest of the day to tour the area and yeah. do all the things that Albuquerque has to offer. And right. the rally took us out and about in a bus so we didn't have to worry about the traffic and stuff. And that was worth doing too. So it depends how much yeah, time you you've up to Santa Fe. spent in that area yeah, already. Right. So there are lots of things to do. We're spending six six or seven days there, so it'll be a good time. And you want to plan on a fair amount of time because you never quite know about the weather. The weather this year, for instance, the first couple of days were pretty bad. They couldn't they, fly. And they couldn't do, so yeah, yeah. couldn't do the rally. So. so after talking about this happy news, we are ready to talk about some unhappy news. More drama, <laughs> which we have... <laughs> Alluded to. Some of you who are on our Facebook group probably already kind of know about this, right? A little. Yeah. But uh, it's illustrative for many reasons, and you may actually learn something from this. From our experiences. I think overall, one of the things that I've learned is that the trucking community has resources that are unknown to the average traveler. Car driver. Right. And many people question whether they should get a big diesel engine in a diesel pusher or <laughs> a super c or whether they should go with a gas and people say well we're going to go with gas because it's a lot cheaper and it's uh <laughs> and it's more easily repaired and maybe i understand it better okay well those things may be true but our experience recently has kind of Negated the easily repaired part. Right. So I'm driving. We're coming back. Uh, from New York. From New York on the way home. And we were planning on driving about six hours uh, for the day. And we were planning on camping on the Ohio Turnpike, which we strongly recommend if you're in that area. Every other of their oases, oases. has an RV parking place with a pedestal with and 50 amp. power. And water and dump place yeah, if yeah. you need to do that too. Very convenient, you know, quick on, You don't have to get off. off the expressway. When you're boogieing down the road, great place to stay. So I'm uh, driving down the road, and about four hours in, I noticed that the my, my digital dash, uh, which I've talked about before, the Blue Fire, uh, which runs on my iPad, uh, I was looking at the alternator, and the alternator voltage started rising. Um, that's an unusual situation. And, of course, on most cars, most RVs, you just have a little light that comes on, and you don't know exactly what the situation is. Uh, but your dashboard we, light came on too, right? Um, no, I have a gauge. Oh. But the gauge is not calibrated right, so it, it's got kind of a long scale, and the gauge didn't go up that high. I mean, I, I wouldn't have otherwise noticed it probably because it didn't, it didn't like jump up to the top. It never went off the scale. Anyway, so I'm looking at it and normal voltages in the high 13s are, are right around 14. 
volts that your alternator should be putting out to keep your batteries in good shape. So these are your driving batteries, not your well house any batteries, batteries, but yes, the, this is charging the chassis batteries. So we're driving along, and the and the voltage starts to creep up, and I'm at 15, blah 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 blah, 16, blah 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 blah, 16.9, 17. What does this mean? What does this mean? Well, the engine's working fine. It's it's perking along. Everything's working good. Uh, we didn't didn't notice any problem, so I kept driving. <laughs> to the oasis to on the, the Ohio o- Turnpike. Yes, and we get ourselves parked. And we get. I, I did tell. I wouldn't ordinarily tell the co-pilot about these things because she worries like incessantly. Because she worries incessantly. But I did mention that the voltage was a little bit high, so we stopped. We get out the door and it just stinks to high heaven. Well, and you oh, remember, no. you remember last month. This is this is pretty incredible. Last month, we talked about a video that we saw on YouTube from one of the RV sites, where the guy asked the question, "My batteries are smoking," and he had a video of his batteries smoking. Is this a problem or is this normal? And now we can make our own video. And we we laughed at that and said, oh, my God. (laughs) If your batteries are smoking, you have a serious problem. Okay, so we get out. Bad smell. Open the battery compartment. Smoke. (laughs) Smoke. Swollen batteries. Swollen batteries. And these are coming out of our self-contained batteries. No maintenance batteries, so they don't have any vents. So when the pressure builds up in the battery, it, it, it bulges the case and it could cause an explosion. And at this point, our toad is still attached to the motorhome, which is right where the battery compartment is. And I touched the batteries, and it was so hot I couldn't, I couldn't keep your hand on it. Keep my hand on it. So, so we realized that we had a problem. Deep doo doo. <laughs> Two hours at seventeen volts is. Too much. Don't do it. <laughs> well, if you want to keep your batteries. I, I, I really don't know what we I don't know. Uh, yeah, we should have driven, I guess, to a repair facility immediately. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a tough call. No, not in retrospect. It's not a tough call, but at the time. So we said, what, what do we do? So we called um, our roadside service. They were very helpful because I thought we were going to be towed. I really don't want to tow uh, my motor big motorhome. There are all sorts of issues with towing a motorhome that you just don't want to get into unless you absolutely have to. And, of course, their engine ran fine. This was not an engine issue. The engine will run fine. You don't even need to charge the batteries, but it will run fine until the batteries die. But at 17 volts, they weren't going to die. So they might have exploded, but they wouldn't have died. <laughs> that would be quite quite. Ooh. Anyway, I hate to think about it. Anyway, so we called our roadside service, and they said, okay, we'll uh, we'll try to find a tow for you. So calls me back and says, um, no can do. Well, the Ohio Turnpike Authority. Authority is the only one that's authorized to tow on the turnpike. And they will tow you. Only off the turnpike. Off the turnpike. And they won't do This was a Sunday. And they won't do it until Monday. There's no service on And Sunday. then when you get off the turnpike, you're in the middle of a farm field somewhere, and then what? So they will tow you to the nearest exit, and then you have to get a tow to wherever you ultimately need to go. Well, come on. Get two tows? Ugh, I just was not ready for that at all. So I said, let's go to bed. So we went to bed. We'll stay the night. And in our research, we were able to determine that there was a Freightliner repair facility uh, yes. for trucks that was located 30-some miles away. Not too bad. And they, I called them up, and they said, we'll take you in whenever you get here. This is what we do. We're open from 6 a.m. till midnight to wow. service broken trucks. We'll, we'll help you out. You just need to get here. Yeah. And we said, we'd love to. <laughs> so I figured by staying overnight, the batteries would cool off. And if they still held any juice, they would start the engine. And how hot are they going to get in 35 miles? <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> so next morning we get up, put my hand on the batteries. They're ice they're, cold. They're ice cold. It was cold outside. So, I mean, they were literally uh, 35 degrees. So they were nice and chilly. Well, they were still swollen, or at least the case was They still, looked bad. They looked bad. Right. And I gingerly turned the key, and the engine started, so they had juice to start the engine. 
the voltage thing, uh, the, my meter only read 12. My, so and my original plan was to follow separate from Ken in the toad, but then we realized we had swiped in with our tollway transponder when we <laughs> entered the tollway, and I wouldn't have been able to get off because I couldn't prove that well, I you'd had have paid. Yeah. What a mess. Anyway, so we carefully drive the 35 miles to the exit where the repair facility was located. And for a fairly long period of time, Ken couldn't get out of first gear, so that meant he was driving 15... And I think that was a result of the low voltage. He was driving 15 miles an hour. <laughs> and so, of course, he drove on the shoulder I'm with the flashers on. It. it wasn't terribly busy, so that felt okay until we got to the part of the tollway that they were repairing when everything went down to one lane. And there he is going 15 miles an hour with flashers on with traffic stacked up behind us. Um, I think he pulled off then and restarted the engine and it went faster yeah, after yeah. that. So anyway, so we anyway, got to Freightliner. The Freightliner facility said, oh yes, you have a problem and they had the batteries in stock, which is cool. And they put them in quickly. Put them in very... And you know, when we got there, they took us in within half an hour and this they had about uh, 20 bays. And this was a facility that was designed to help truckers. And this is something we've learned is, is that the truck community has a whole different set of problems. And when your livelihood depends on the truck working, there are people out there who will keep it working. And they will repair it literally as, as quickly as possible. And you don't want to have broken, no waiting, uh, broken no down ma- big trucks on the road either. There's no waiting for appointments for next week and that sort of stuff truckers just can't afford that sort of stuff so we went to the freightliner facility they took us in literally right away they looked at the alternator and said uh yep there's something wrong with your alternator we need to replace it so we also need to say remember that we replaced the alternator last winter (laughs) so we were on our second alternator that one was rebuilt yes so that was actually the original alternator with uh that have been rebuilt. Anyway, so they said, oh, you have a different alternator than we're used to, uh, than as in an ordinary truck, and so we have to special order it overnight from someplace else to, uh, to the tune of 100 bucks for overnight shipping. Do you want us to overnight ship it? it well... We were already spending one delightful evening in this Freightliner facility. It was time to move on. So we said yes, and they said, we'll order it. Uh, It'll be here in 24 hours. It'll be here noon tomorrow when the UPS guy arrives. And we stayed overnight. We boondocked in their parking lot. And watched the UPS man arrive. Watched the UPS man arrive. And as soon as he did, they said, okay, uh, we'll take you in and repair it. It'll be a couple hours while we put the new alternator in. Well, you know, if you had a Ford or a Chevy chassis and you had to go to a Ford or a Chevy dealer with a gas engine, uh, how long would it take you to get an appointment? And how long would it take them? Well, probably. And how much would you pay to have it repaired? Anyway, it would be... I hate to think about it. What we did was bad enough. (laughs) Right. So, you know, trucker, the trucker community has this network of repair facilities and and mobile repair guys and things that that we just, our average car guy just doesn't know much about. But it's very nice when you're having a repair problem. So we went in. They took us in at uh, about 1 o'clock. And we thought, wow, okay, 3 o'clock, we'll be out of here and we'll be on the road. Because replacing an alternator is not really a big job. And as the sun started to set... (laughs) In the western sky. It is the waiting room with TV. We get to know all the channels. <laughs> so the bottom line is is that because our motorhome has the engine in the back and they have to take out the alternator from underneath, it was actually a substantially bigger job than they anticipated. Not that they couldn't do it, but it was just... Uh, took longer, it took longer. So in the, in the end, it took about six hours rather than two. And this is where I was mentioning the Super Cs that have the, the hood that opens in the front that, that would be much more truck-like, and so the alternator easier would to be get much easier to repair. Anyway, they did get it repaired uh, about 6 o'clock and a p.m., or was it 7? It was more like 7. No, that was when we got to Elkhart. Uh, it was 7. And it was dark. they charged us only $2,000. <laughs> Well, each of the batteries was 150, and the alternator was uh, 800, 900. Yeah, 800 bucks, because it was a special alternator. The guy was like, when he looked at the price, he said, "I can't believe this price." He didn't want to he tell us how much it cost. An alternator is usually a couple hundred bucks, but we have a 200 amp, so that it'll charge all of our batteries, and so uh, we have 
special high power alternator which uh, costs extra money. So $2,000 later, including the labor and all that sort of stuff, we're out the door. So is RVing expensive? Can be. Can be, that's for sure. But the bottom line is is that we got it fixed in 36 hours, which is pretty amazing from uh, start to finish. And unlike our trucker friends who we met there, we were able to stay in our RV overnight. (laughs) They had to get a ride to a hotel because they had nowhere to be. Are we happy? Kind of. (laughs) Are you enjoying your new alternator? <laughs> well, it got me home. <laughs> so it's been pegged on three, 13.8 volts all the way home, so the new batteries are being kept So what charged. will the next problem be? What do you anticipate going next? I know you're going to replace our tires. Tires. But that's proactive, we hope. Yeah, well, we'll see. I'm sure our listeners will be excited to learn about what it, what it is when it, it happens. We're obsessed about our but little problem will, here. It will happen. So we also did the uh, the Niagara Falls thing while we were there. This was before the alternator. Mm-hmm. And we hadn't been to Niagara Falls. I guess we decided it about 30 years. More than that. Closer More than to 40. That. In 76, we were there. Niagara Falls is another one of those. And it hadn't changed at all. The falls were still falling. Yeah, yeah, but I think the visitor facilities had changed quite a lot. As we remember it, the Canadian facilities were much more tourist-friendly than the American side, which was very industrial back in 1976, Uh where now they've made it into a nice state park that makes the falls easy to visit. Um, After you pay to park, of course, you can wander around the area and take pictures from above and take the Maid of the Mist boat if you want to uh, and walk down to a walkway where you get a poncho and can walk kind of through the spray. It was quite nicely done. It's a state park. The facilities were enough to handle large crowds. I mean, they had a, the system down so that, and the time we were there wasn't super busy, but the weather was very nice. So, I think the did. hesitation you hear in our voice comes from the fact that since we went there in 1976, we've been to some much more impressive yes. waterfalls. Yeah, that's the real um, thing. The Agasso, which is on the border between Brazil and Argentina, and Victoria Falls, Falls right. in South Africa, in that area, that's are gonna... much bigger and more impressive. As a um, falls, it's not that special. Right. And they had a lot of nice historical stuff about how they used to do um, power and still do yeah. some hydroelectric along the river there. So it's it's worth a visit if you're in the area. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's so iconic. And we <laughs> it's iconic because lovers go there and they want to see. It's a honeymoon place. But we saw. A proposal. <laughs> the man standing there in the spray. <laughs> His wife's hair is, or no, his, his future wife's his hair, hair is beaten down by all the, the water coming down, and he offers her the ring. And I thought, oh, my God, don't drop it. But it worked just fine. It worked just fine. Somebody was there to video it. It was uh, very cool. I've had some questions about my watch, you know. Some people have... What's to ask? That the battery life isn't what it should be. Oh. And it, I would agree with you. When I first bought my Apple Watch my new one, that the battery life was fairly short. It would hardly work. It would work for like 18 hours and then... Not even a whole day? No. Oh, my. But I, with, an, uh, with a software update, which recently came down here, now it works great. Huh. So I guess that's... Well, that's good news. That's the good news. The Apple Watch, definitely good. And if you fall, we've seen a couple of... Uh, uh, news articles recently about people being saved as a result of having their Apple Watch uh, dial 911 and letting the authorities know the location of the person and them being saved as a result of wearing their Apple Watch. That's why I got mine. That's why you got yours. Because I'm old you, and I might fall down. And you have fallen down several times. No, only once. Well, your watch thinks. My watch <laughs> thinks I fall down fairly regularly. Whereas mine is not alarmed at all. Uh-huh. I don't even know if it works. You need to start talking with your hands, then you'll set it off. So let's talk a little bit about a couple of things. We mentioned last month that <laughs> the problem with the Dometic toilet, that it has a... It had a depression which gathered the toilet waste. <laughs> and people have had big smell problems, and they could not as, tr- as tidy no as they, they tried did. it to be. And I just read this month that for anyone w- with a stinky Dometic 300 toilet that holds waste due to a design fall... Flaw. Flaw. Call them, and they will and, and give them your serial number, and they will replace 
the toilet because it is a manufacturing defect. So they send you a toilet and you have to put it in? If your toilet is within the range of serial numbers that identified as faulty, they will send you a replacement, no questions asked. If you have room for an upgraded ceramic toilet, which I would definitely recommend, you can get it for $50 or $75 for a ceramic with a wooden seat. <laughs> a wooden seat, la-di-da. <laughs> <laughs> which I would sit on and break. <laughs> I prefer the plastic seat, thank you. But this uh, has been recognized as a real problem. And it's nice that they're standing behind their product and doing something about well, it. Well, and I can imagine people just going crazy because, because the toilet. That's so really if you have a, a continuously stinky bathroom that probably is getting worse as time goes on. The more you use your toilet. Oh, this, there is a solution. And not only that, but it's, you can get it replaced for free. Now, Teresa asks, you ready for this? This no. is a test of the... No, I'm not ready. Just take it away. I'm hoping that you have the answer for me. I don't. <laughs> I have an air conditioner that's 13,500 13, BTU. So I want to purchase a Predator 3500 generator to power it. Presumably 3500 means 3500 watts. Or does it mean BTUs? That's what she says. Yes, that's you're coming close to the problem. <laughs> I just looked at some descriptions of my travel trailer, and it states that my heater is thirty thousand BTUs. So the air conditioner is thirteen thousand five hundred BTUs. And amps are different things. You're coming close. You're okay. coming close. She's been thinking about it, ladies and gentlemen. She might actually come up with the right answer. No, I, well, I don't know. I asked right her answer. about this earlier, and she had no clue. Is that generator able to power that, presumably the, the heat, heat? The heat, the furnace. From the info I have, it doesn't look like it's even close. Is it safe to say that you can't run the heater while dry camping? We do. Her brain you is... Need more her, information. Her brain is... No, you you need, you need to know how many no. amps are necessary to run your no, heater or your air really. conditioner. Not really. Why not? I'm waiting for the wheels to continue to... Take it away. Take it away. So, dear listener, what's the answer to this? Can she run her 30,000 BTU furnace with a 3,500-watt generator? I have no idea. No, come on. You no. Do. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> no, don't. You've been, how long have you been doing this podcast? This is an easy answer. I don't know how many amps you need for, for to do a BTU, to generate a BTU. There is no conversion. <laughs> well, isn't that the fundamental and, and question? This, and, no, she leaves out the amps completely. You need to know. Bingo. So, so you can't answer her question. That's why I have no idea. No, no, you can easily answer her question. You, you know what the... You need to look up how many amps your furnace requires and your air conditioner requires. Well, yes, but you know the answer to that question pretty easily. I'll repeat that again. So here's the bottom line. The BTUs that are created from an air conditioner use electricity. BTU stands for British Thermal Unit. Yes. So the electricity creates the BTUs. Yes. So it's a matter of you need amps, lots of amps, to create those BTUs. Yes. Now, in a propane furnace, how are the BTUs created? Well, in our coach with electricity. No. Yeah, because we're an all-electric coach. No. If you have propane, the propane would be creating Yes, the propane would be creating the and BTUs. And if you turn on that other lever, it's supplemented <laughs> with our diesel. <clears throat> no. But we can have heat without the diesel. Yes, but most of the time, if you were worried about power consumption, you'd use the diesel burner to create the BTUs for the furnace. She's got a trailer. She's got propane. You can bet on it. Yeah. Her so furnace needs, does not run on electricity. So the only electricity she needs is to run the fan. She's got it, ladies and gentlemen. The light bulb has gone on. Right. The only thing she needs power for in her furnace, not to create the BTUs, not to create the heat, it's only to distribute the heat throughout the motorhome. And even though I obviously trailer. have no understanding at all, experience tells me that you have many more electricity problems when you're trying to air condition than when you're trying to heat. Because you're creating the BTUs with... Electricity. electricity. So the furnace will probably, well, it'll run on 12 volt on your batteries, and it'll probably run a fair amount of time. So the furnace, which is going to create 30,000 BTUs, heat, 
but using a propane flame to create that heat. So there's no electricity being used to create the heat. It will run on very few amps, probably two. But we use electricity to create some of our heat. <laughs> That's an option we have. Yeah. Lots of people have that option, yeah. but we don't have to do that. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's why I say when we're on 30-amp power that we turn off the electric heat. We, we go back the to the diesel. burner. When we're boondocking, we definitely use, right. in our case, it's diesel, not propane, but it's the same idea. You, right. You're creating the BTUs with something other than electricity. So her air conditioner, a 13,000... A BTU air conditioner will take about 14, 15 amps. How do you know that? Because that's pretty much standard. How do you know that? How would Teresa find that out? She would talk about electricity and not talk about BTUs because BTUs is, has nothing really to do with it's it. It's a measure of the you, you, What you want to know is, yes, if you're going to hook up a generator, you need to know how many amps are available and how many you need to do the things you want to do. That's the thing. That's the whole situation. So how would she find this out? 30 amp and 50 amp. You would look. Look where? Uh, and there are all sorts of charts that tell you how much different things use. And you add them up, and if it adds up to more than 30, then you don't use 30 amp. You can't use them all at once. You can't use them all at once. So anyway, a 13,000 BTU air conditioner will use probably 14 or 15 amps, whereas a 30,000 BTU furnace will use probably 2 or 3 amps because it's not using it's just electricity to make the heat. Will a Predator 3500 generator work? Sounds like it. And will she be able to boondock with that? Sounds like and it. And have heat? Sounds like it. Bingo. Has everybody learned something? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but will they retain it? <laughs> Jeez. Oh, lady. Maybe I just have an electricity phobia. I thought I had gone over this with you a dozen times. What? These, these types of things. I, I thought just, I'd gone over with them. I just don't like electricity. Okay. Oh, she doesn't like electricity. She I just, never have to worry about it when I'm in my house. I just flip the switch well, and go. That's one of the things that people have problems with. Is just that no suddenly in your motorhome you you, or in your trailer, you have to worry about all the utilities, electric, water, and sewer. Which you never think about. Which you about. never think about at home. Uh -huh. And so th that's a major transition for a lot of people as they move into the RV full-timing or RV Even travel style. Th that you have to understand that these things so that you can make uh, intelligent decisions. And have a comfortable life. So do we need to talk more about technology? Be my guest. <laughs> we did get a new printer. Yes, we we came home and our printer was riddled with error messages. <laughs> well, not only that, but I read that one of the most expensive fluids that you could buy... Oh. <laughs> This statistic is just appalling. It's printer ink. It costs $6,200 a gallon. 6000 And they talked about how many gallons of gas you could buy for a gallon of printer, printer ink. ink. <laughs> it's like you could run your car for the next five well, years. It would take you a while to use up a gallon. $6,000 for a gallon. So anyway, a lot of the new printers, and we needed a new printer anyway, a lot of the new printers have much larger tanks. I guess the... Customers have caught on to the fact that they don't want to have little tiny... Inevitably, they run out when you're in the middle of something and you're in a hurry and you're trying to get it done. And so if ink. you buy, for instance, a, an Echo Tank from Epson, it has two years of ink in the box. Instead of having little starter cartridges, it has. And we bought a, a Brother. Which is a brand that we didn't think about for... And why did we buy Brother? Because you read about it in Consumer Reports. <gasps> My Bible. The Consumer Reports said that uh, the EcoTanks were unreliable. Hmm, surprise. So we bought a Brother that has two years of ink in the box and comes with uh, refillable tanks. So I think all the companies I read, the Canon is also doing this, so that all the companies are coming out with new printers that have much larger tanks and that you can actually refill the tanks with ink. Uh, it brings the ink cost down dramatically. So rather than getting a $100 printer that you spend $50 on cartridges every six months, we now have a $50 printer, <clears throat> which two years' worth of, of ink in the box. We hope. Yeah, well, it's got much bigger cartridges. And also very cool is that it prints wirelessly. Reliably. From, <clears throat> from your phone and your... Uh, tablets and your laptops. And, and from a distance and away, from, too. Well, 
wherever you have Wi-Fi. Well, it's connected up to our Wi-Fi. So we're pretty happy with this. And as I say, it costs 150 bucks, and it was uh, prints on two sides, which is also cool. So for the first time, I've been sh- struggling here with our RV Navigator notes, which you probably wouldn't guess that we had. <laughs> By the way, we amble on aimlessly, you mean? <laughs> but we do have notes. We do have suggestions about we things. We just don't that, follow them. Things we're going to talk about. But for the first time, they're printed on both sides. So I've, I've paper been looking flapping. for something, and I said, oh, it's on the other side. Merry Christmas to you. Oh, we should be doing Christmas presents. Yes. What am I getting? A fire suppression not, system. Oh, a new alternator. <laughs> well, we won't be back until December 13th, so we will not be able to, uh, well, I don't know, maybe on the next one we'll be able to make some comments about great, what's, oh, no, we got to rely on the on the listeners. To come up with some, but by then it'd be too late. No, December first. So help us develop a yes, Christmas in our list. Christmas gift list. Yes. Well, here's one of them. Oh, a fan that tells time. <laughs> I'm taking that with us, by the way. Why? Because it's cool. Now, do you have? I think you're, I even mentioned this. You're this limited is, this in is, space wait, 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 and wait. weight on a suitcase trip, and you're bringing this stupid thing. <laughs> Are you having hot flashes over there? No, I'm showing you the light for telling time. It's got a fan. That's why you have an Apple Watch. I think it would make a great Christmas present. <laughs> Depending and on I'm going to put are. it on the Christmas It's going to be at the head of the Christmas present list for RVers. What? Well, you get an RV. Well, you get a little fan. And it tells time in your RV. This giant wand is sticking out. All right. So we'll talk about this offline. All right. <laughs> Continue the discussion. But please send us some ideas for Christmas presents for your RV. Na- oh, no, not for the RV navigators. For someone else who's an RVer in your life. A gift to give an, an RVer. And it will help us to focus on the RVing life when we are floating down the Suez Canal or wherever it is. Take all the emails. We're doing that day. And the next podcast, we won't have to do anything but read about podcast suggestions. suggestions. Right. Okay. So we will hope to see you in a campground near us, but not... till after Christmas. till after Christmas. And for now, we will say bon voyage. And happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, right. Happy Thanksgiving, and we will see you uh, in December when we will be... In more reliable recording days. No, we're going oh, to see them in... Oh, from this trip, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Well, we hope to see, see you, We hope to see you next month, but who knows? Bye for now. See you later. Bye.